about the song, and I just can't wait to be. Who does not know that song? Raise your hand. Okay, good. Oh, you don't know that song? Okay, ah, see. Ah. I was about to say, if you don't know that song, you are a spy from, like, communist country. Okay. It, it's one of the greatest uh, Disney movies, How to Be King, Lion King, you know? And I want you to think about what it's to be a king, right? And uh, it would be so nice if you could be, live like a king, right? We all have dreams of what that would like, be like today. So when I, when, in my sermon today, whenever I say king, I don't mean like the gender, like you have to be a man to be king, but I'm talking about the position of a king, the influence. I'm talking about the role and the privileges that a king has. Let's talk about what a king really is in the terms of the power and the authority you have. I just want you to therefore turn to your neighbor, whether you're a girl or a guy, just turn to your neighbor and say, hey, I was born to be a king. Thank you very much. Turn to your neighbor and just tell them. Look them in the eye, just be like, yeah, I was born to be a king. It's true. Say it with confidence. It's true. It's true. It's true. There are two things that makes a king a king, right? Um, Without talking about the whole, you know, historical genealogy, all of that. When you are a king, these two things are guaranteed. And these are the things that I think are guaranteed for us. These are the two things that make you a king in this life. Um, here are the two things. Uh, to be a king is very simple. You have supreme power. It means whatever is in your domain, right? Uh, in fact, if you want to grow in your domain, you have to fight other kings, right? But whatever's in your domain and you're a king, it's all yours, right? So military, money, whatever, uh, resources, uh, natural resources, buildings, you just want it, you can have it for the king, right? That's what it means to be king. Second thing is not just power, but you have all freedom and authority, You don't report to anybody. Your agenda is not set by a boss. You are the boss. And that kind of um, idea that there's no rule over you is what maybe is appealing about a king. It would be great if we had no obligation. How many of you guys just love obligation? You're like, I love rules that restrict me and limit me, and I I live for obligations. No, right? The freedom. A A king has supreme freedom and supreme power. And the question is, how can I be a king? So the opposite of a king would be a slave, a subject. A a subject has limited resources. It's not free. You have to do what you're told. Otherwise, you either die or you pay a big price and your life sucks. So imagine in your life, what would it be like if you were a king free and powerful, not a subject or slave, you know, Today, I want to show you before the truth, uh, in the truth that you are already are a king and how to live as a king. Today, in our passage that we just read, there is a one qualification. Not many, but if you pay attention today, you realize, wow, this one thing will determine if I'll be a king or I'll be a subject or I'll be a slave all the days of my life. It's true. Before I go into the passage, I want to remind you the reason why I can so boldly claim that you are a king is because think about who you are. When God created you, God, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, created you as what? Less than him? As a subject? No, in his image. Full of his power, full of his sovereignty. He made you so powerful that he says that even the angels are below us, even Paul says, when we are resurrected, we will judge the angels. We will be full of the glory of God. So, in fact, you were once already a king. You were created, God said, rule and reign this world, right? Be free and multiply. God, what should I do? Don't ask me. You do as you please in the world I've created for you. But that didn't last long, right? We know exactly what happened. Sin made us fall short of that glory. We lost our royalty. We became subject to sin and the flesh, and we're no longer kings. We are, at best, slaves to sin and ourselves. Life sucks. Life is hard. We're under a curse. We lost that royalty. But I want to remind us that because of Jesus, he came to redeem what was lost. Not just to save you from this world, but to recreate you, to make you in the image of God again, so you can rise up, in sovereignty, be free and be powerful. That's why Jesus bled on the cross, to make you like him again, to be free and to be powerful. Paul, in Romans 8, it reminds us that through our faith in Jesus, we're free from sin and the control over this world. 
In fact, Jesus recognized that once you fall from the position that you were given to be with Christ, you're under this world. And Jesus called the prince of this world Satan himself. The world is not ruled by God right now, right? When you look at the news, you're like, God's not in control. Something else is running the show. And we are under that. But when you believe in Christ, though we don't see it physically yet, spiritually and by legally, we are right now seated with Christ in high places. And he says here, if your children, think about it, don't, don't diss your father. Don't underplay who you're a child of. How powerful, how great is your father who is the God of the creation? That's what's true, but we still live like slaves to flesh and to the world. We bow down to people and the situations in this world. But God says if you're a children and you're an heir, heir means you take everything legally that is God's and it's yours. Not just part of it, not just negotiating, but God says take it, it's all yours. Life and eternity and, and, and everything glory is yours. And he says you're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Jesus did what he did because he's longing for a day he can have you become free, resurrected as he is in his image so you can reign with him. Imagine that kind of world, a world where you don't have to suffer and you have to be bound by obligations and bound by your own flesh, struggling within yourself just to do something right and always failing. He wants you to be free from that. He wants you to reign with Christ. So now that I've said that, I want to go into our passage and talk about what about now, pastor? I know that's what's coming. That's what it is spiritually. I cannot see it. I'm still... I don't think I, in the world's definition, I'm a king, but I know I'm spiritually, but what does that mean in my life now? And our passage shows that example very well. Throughout history, and especially history of the nations of Israel, maybe, maybe some of you guys came from uh, or know someone who's a king. I, I think the most shocking thing I've seen is, um, I think it's Thailand that they serve a king, right? Is that correct? And, and sometimes he just, like, has so much power, like, the wives have to publicly kneel on the ground to approach him and things like that. And just ridiculous. Why? Because think about what happens when history teaches us that most of the kings that we see in the world are really bad. Why? Because what happens? When you're a sinner and you give them supreme power and supreme freedom, what are they going to do? Supreme sin, sin, right? So we know that it's, it's so bad. In fact, when in our passage it says that this is what happened. The people of Israel were saying to Samuel, who was the last judge. He was the last. Remember Samson, um, uh, Joshua, no, not Joshua, Gideon. We talked about uh, uh, Deborah. We talked about uh, Samson. All of those people, right, were reigning with God for 300 people. People were in cycle of sin. Judges rise up and say, wake up, you're sinning, hello, go back to God, and then they sin again, blah, blah, blah. Samuel was the last one. The people somehow got sick of it, and he told them, look, they said to Samuel, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. It, could, it was hard to find judges. Judges were running short. People just gave in to sin and whatever. They, they said, now appoint the king to judge us like all the other nations. The Israelites, as they're seeing these nations, they were supposed to subdue them. They're supposed to overcome them, but they let them influence who they are. And they said, you know what? I want to be like that. Looks like a king is pretty awesome. Looks like when you have a king, things go well. Because truth is, it's easier to trust something you see, a person, than a God that you cannot see. The people just gave up on faith and said, you know what, forget all this. Just, let's just make what we can do, right? Let's just make what people, human power can do. And it says, it says, but when they said, give us a king to judge us, their demand was displeasing in the sight of, the sight of Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For it is not you they have rejected as a judge, but they have rejected me as their king. Just as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day. He's talking about that's about a thousand year history in that, just in that moment. Until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. This is not just Israel out of their you know, usual behavior. They, they are saying, you know what? I don't think I can do more sacrifices. I don't think I can obey God. Let's just make our own. Let's just make our own way. And hey, look, our, our neighbors are doing fine. Let's just be like them. So they, they're basically saying, God, we don't want you to be our ruler. We want a person to be our ruler. So instead of being a people who before, until that point, they were free to live and they had God as their resource, if they continued in their relationship and faith in God, God was the one who's going to lead them, provide for them, as he has always had done. And he was going to raise them to be the greatest nation in the world. But instead of that, these people thought it's better for us to submit our rights 
give all of our power to one man. And God said, okay, you can do that. I'll, I'll just be here on the sidelines. Call me when you need me. But he gave them a warning. Like I said, what, what happens when you give sinners power and give them freedom? Supreme, you're going to get a bad ending in the story. So they're going to suffer for their choices, right? And so just, to, just an example, Samuel says this. He says, I'll call on the Lord to send thunder and rain so that you will know and see what a great evil you have committed in the sight of the Lord by asking for a king. So Samuel called to the Lord and God answered by saying, on that day the Lord sent thunder and rain. As a result, all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. They pleaded with Samuel, pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we will not die for we have added to all our sins the evil of asking for a king. They realized, oops, we chose the wrong thing. But yet God allowed them to have what they want, right? But today I want to talk about it, right? It's interesting because a king has to exist, right? And it's much better, I'll just tell you now, to have God as your king than any human being ruling over you, right? But the people didn't trust God, so they suffer for their consequences. But if I want to ask in our passage, though, there's a redemptive side to this. Even though they chose the wrong thing, God said, you know what? I'm going to be looking for someone that I can say, I can support and say, this is the one I vote for. Who is God's choice? What is God's choice for if you're going to have a king? What kind of king should rule over your people, your children? And today we're going to meet that person. He is none other than David, as you guys very well know. We have David Saul here, but and we have other Davids here, a lot of Davids in, in, in life. But it's because David was awesome, right? You know, there's a, a lot of discussion about, have you heard of the word goat? Greatest of all time, right? Michael Jordan, right? Greatest of all time. Uh, Michael Phelps, greatest of all time. Uh, uh, Tiger Woods, greater, greatest of all time. Michael Jackson, right? But when it comes to being a king, right, being a supreme person of authority and, and power, there's no one greater than King David himself. Some of the things he's known for is that, uh, you know, Moses established the way we're, we're to worship God. You have to sacrifice. So if you were still to do that, every one of you had to bring, according to your sin, uh, animals. So maybe some of you guys bring, like, lots of animals. Some of you guys bring a little bit, animal, right? But anyways, worship was literally killing that and letting the blood flow. And we have to watch that and realize, oh, my gosh, my sin, that's what I deserve. But David, as he was worshiping God, realized that true worship is that, but also there's worship, music, and singing. So he established 24-7. He, he, dreamed, he, he realized the way we're going to worship God is not just by sacrificing animals, but we're going to come and sing to the Lord and we're going to play instruments. So he, he actually made instruments. So we can thank Moses, I mean, not Moses, David for being the first praise leader. The beautiful worship you guys had today was the fruit of what David realized, that in heaven, before God's presence, everyone's singing, everyone's praising him. So that's how we get to experience that a lot. Thank you, praise team, for being a follower of, of, of a legacy of David. That's why the, out of the 150 psalms, about half, 73 are songs that David wrote to worship God, that you can join in. A lot of the songs that we sing today are actually from the psalms, okay? That's a great world-changing uh, contribution he had. Not only that, but he was the one who had the vision and the one that God chose and, and trusted to build his temple, not to actually do it, but to prepare everything. His son just ex executed it. And also, he was the greatest king in the history of Israel. He unified the 12 tribes, and he brought the most peace, and the greatest amount of land was under King David. He was the superhero in his time and still is today. Most important, he was chosen to be the ancestor through whom Jesus would come to bless the world. So, Moses, so, so David was one of the greatest. Friends, here it is. What is the one qualification that you and I need? Because the reality is, again, because of sin, today we're not kings. We are under the submission. We struggle with flesh. We struggle with the world. We, we, we fall to temptation. We keep sinning, right? And we hate that thing, right? But we want to overcome that. What made King David king is the same thing that's going to make you and I be able to live in kings. doesn't mean that all of a sudden I'm going to have huge palace and money, but deep in my heart, the things that were used to make me slave, the sin, the temptations, those are not going to be my lords anymore. There's going to be only one person, only God in my life. So to qualify as king, 
The reason why God chose David to be king wasn't because he was a musical talent, he knew how to fight. All of that was this by, byproduct of this one quality, and this is what it is. To qualify to be a king, in our passage that God speaks to people, he gives one phrase, just this one phrase, of who will be his choice to replace Saul, who failed as a king. Here it is. 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. It's on your bulletin as the memory verse for the week. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people. I want to explain what that phrase means today, a man after God's own heart, and how this also becomes for you the key to living free and to the key to be powerful accomplishing God's will, not the devil's work. The devil has a lot of plans for you. He has great plans to destroy you and your family and make you suffer and just hate life and hate God. That's his, he has so much plans for you, but you can say, no, 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 devil. I'm going to do the will of God. I'm going to live free and powerful. If you want to direct that definition in Acts 13, as, uh, as, as Paul is preaching, he's, he refers to this moment. It says this way, right? After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He, and what does that mean? He will do everything I want him to do. That's it. To be a man after God's heart really means that you're ready to obey Everything God wants you to do. That's the one key of being no longer a slave in this world, living in stress, living in in fear, living in anxiety, living in hate, being limited, being being, uh, setbacks and disappointments. This is a key that we can reign as a king in this life. As God created us to be, it's not new. I am a child of God. I am not of this world. I am not a sinner. Christ made me righteous. I am overcomer, more than overcomer, more than conqueror. What does that mean? I live in peace. I don't have to fight anymore. Christ fought for me, so how do I live in this extravagant peace and I get to be the most blessed person? Why? Because now I know the blessing is in giving, is in serving, is in loving and forgiving. That's the kingdom that I'm from. But how can I live that? Here it is, to be a person after God's own heart, to do everything, that I want him to do. Can you say that today? Can you say that of yourself today before God and others? I'm a man after God's own heart. Can you say that? I'm a woman of, after God's own heart. Until you get to say that, you will not live and experience what it means to be free and powerful in this life. You will always be a subject. doesn't matter how much money you have, how many friends you have, what kind of job you have, what you look like, what people know you, how many followers you have. I'm sorry. It's just not going to go well for you. The one qualification to be king that God will support and say, I'm going to give this man or woman all of my resources and all of my authority is the one who has the heart after God's own heart and will do everything that he wants him to do. Then the question you have to ask is how to have, how can I have a heart after God's own heart? How much is it going to cost? Can I get it on eBay? Can I get a heart transplant? Right? What kind of, I don't know, things do I have to do? Well, the answer is here. If you look at the life of David, it makes clear sense. In fact, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings is all about King David. In the life of King David, the most important word that we understand in order for us to have a heart after God's own heart, a heart that can obey, a heart that's ready to hear God's voice and to do what he wants and to live free and to owe nothing to anybody, to be no longer slave to sin, is going to require what he went through. This is what it is, training. Friends, a heart after God is formed. It's not given. King David didn't just born, oh my gosh, I have a heart after God's own heart. I'm going to be a king. No, no, no. His heart was broken, dirty, and deceived, and evil, just like all of us. He was full of sin, just like every one of us. But somehow, let's look at his life. What made him, what kind of training did he go through? What kind of experience did he go through where his heart changed? So God said, that's the one I'm going to trust. 
and bring Jesus, the Savior of the world, through. I'm going to trust David with my secrets. Don't you want to be that kind of person where God knows you on a first-name basis? See, it's interesting that people, when you sin, there's two kinds of people in this world, people who continue to draw deeper and deeper in love with God or people who draw further and further away. It's only two kinds of people. There's not a third category. Either you're right now loving God, pursuing him, following him, or you're not. There's not a third category where you're like, oh, I'm going to break. No, you're not. You're slipping. You are going very fast into what the Lord doesn't want you to do. So, friends, but what's the difference is the training, the forming of the heart. Let's talk about how David's heart was formed to become king that God approves, that we can learn from. So, again, King David wasn't born and his parents realized, wow, you're, you're different. Let's put you in a training program. Let's put you in a, a, a how-to-be-a-king academy. Let's sign you up for the, the special forces. No, in fact, when David was born, he was born into, as I'm going to describe, one of the saddest situations. He was born into the most unfortunate circumstances. He was born into pain, into shame, into disappointments, just like you and I are very familiar with. But he had it pretty strong, and I'll, and I'll show you why. Since birth, he was brought up in a situation that was sad and tough. But David didn't know it, right? But he somehow passed through that test. The trial, that's why the Bible says, when trials come upon your life and temptations, consider it joy because you're going to develop something in you. It's going to train you, so you're going to lack nothing. So whenever hardships come, whenever pandemics come, when you get fired from your job, when, 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 when stuff happens to your life that you, you're like, what the, you know? Be like, praise God, because I have an opportunity to be trained in this evil. Even the sin that you sin, don't be like, oh, my God, my life is over. No, overcome the sin. Learn how to destroy that sin. And so the Lord allowed this horrible situation. So let's talk about what kind of situation was King David born into. Psalm 51, this is a verse, uh, that psalm that he wrote. You can go home and read it. It's a beautiful psalm. This, he wrote this psalm in the worst moment of his life when he created murder and adultery at the same time. This is where he really goes deep into his, what's wrong with him. You know, he's like, what the heck was wrong with me? You know, he did something that he would never dream of. But he's like, wow, I am sinful. I'm broken more than I understood. And he said this, in sin, my mother conceived me. This is not just a, a phrase of, a, 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 how to say, a figure of speech. Literally, what happened was King David was born with a brother. He had seven other brothers, and he was the youngest, right? But he wasn't loved. I think most of the younger, youngest children, who's the youngest sibling like myself? Yeah, we're spoiled. Yeah, so like, you know what I'm talking about, right? We're spoiled, right? David was supposed to be the loved one, but then he was rejected. And it's because what happened is, and, and obviously it doesn't say it in the Bible, but as the people knew the history, what happened was David's uh, father was the, the child of uh, Ruth and uh, Boaz. And the thing is, they, they somehow they, they started having doubt that because Ruth was a Moabite, Boaz made a sin, and therefore the children that came out of there, they started thinking, oh my gosh, I am illegitimate. This is much more deeper than I understand, but they realized, oh my gosh, we have to make sure that we can pass our lineage to be authentically Israelite. So, so the father had a plan. After he had seven kids, he realized, oh my gosh, I need to make sure that I am kosher. And so he realized, why don't I, he looked at history and he realized, just like Abraham, when he, wasn't, when, he, when he really needed an heir, what he did was he slept with his maidservant, who was a, a, a Jewish person, so that she, he could have a lawful, because that was the practice back then. So his plan, the father's plan was to sleep with a maidservant, but then the wife who was, sorry, the wife was the uh, daughter of uh, Boaz and uh, Ruth. And then she realized, so she was rejected at one point, the father, Jesse, realized, honey, you're not an Israelite. All of our kids, they're tainted. We need a pure Israelite, right? So as, as a dad was about to sleep with the maidservant, they got him drunk, and then instead of the maidservant coming in, she came in to sleep with him, and she, she was pregnant, and that was David. But the thing is, everybody knew that this mom was rejected, so when she had a child, what does that look like? I, I, I'm sorry I didn't explain it correctly, but it looks like she slept with another man and had another one, man's baby. Because as the father of David, in my memory, I didn't sleep with you. 
So back then, word travels fast. So everyone's like, oh my gosh, David's mom, she slept with somebody. She is an adulterer. And this baby, David, he is a bastard. That's not a bad word, guy. It just really means uh, out of wedlock, out of covenant. It just means a child, unwanted child. Does that make sense? So you can understand from the beginning of time, David was cursed. Nobody wanted David. In fact, when, when Samuel, who is like the before King Saul, he was like the president of the country, he was the king of the country, went to David's house, Jesse was so thankful, and he brought all of his sons, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And then Samuel was like, the Lord wants to make one of you king. And they're like, oh, he must be our, our biggest brother, right? Because he's the best. No, 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 no. And he's like, do you have another son? And they're like, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> yeah, <coughs> um, by the way, you mentioned that. I hope you didn't mention But yeah, we have another son. He's in the, in the field watching the shepherds. Friends, to be a shepherd back then was the lowest of the jobs because it was dangerous, and they were known to be people who were connivers and thieves. They're just people you don't want to hang out with. So they call him, and God says, that's the one. Friends, look what it says in Psalm 69. Go home and read 51 and 69 to understand the pain that King David lived. In verse 8, he says, I have become a stranger to my brothers and a foreigner to my mother's sons. This is him really describing, I was born, and I knew since the day I, wanted, I was born, nobody wants me. I don't have a, a welcoming home. This is the situation that David was born into. He says, in verse 12, not just the family, but he says, those who sit at the gate mock me. People in society, you go out the street to shop in Safeway, and times, everyone just walks away like this. Because he's a shepherd. He's the, he's the bastard, right? He's the one that made everything bad for this. He brought disgrace to his family. And he became the song of drunkards. He became the joke of the town. How many times? All his life. Again, and it says, insults have broken my heart and I am in despair. I looked for sympathy, but there was none for comforters, but I found none. They poisoned my food with gale and gave me vinegar to quench my thirst. That was King David. He wasn't born, oh, I feel like I want to serve God today. No, he, he probably wanted to end his life many, many times. Suicidal, depressed. How did he overcome? What was the training that happened? Because he could have failed, right? But if you understand how he did it, then you also can overcome any situation in life, become a king. Look what the whole Psalm 69 starts by him saying, I am worn out calling for help. He's searching. Anyone help me? Like anybody just, what's the point of life? Have you ever been in such a situation? Many people who are in this kind of situation don't make it. What made King David overcome that and become king? He says, my throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. What's amazing in that psalm is, this is beautiful about the psalms. It has crazy depression and despair, and then like crazy victory, right? So when you guys go through that in life, you're not crazy. That's just part of living in a world that's under sin, that has rejected God as king, right? But we are people who are reconciling that, right? So he says, the next verse says, in the midst of all of this, he says, but I pray to you, Lord. Instead of going and drinking and, I don't know, Hating God, cursing God, he decided to, what kind of people are there? Two kinds of people, right? Who, when you face hardships, setbacks, depression, and, 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 and tragedies, losing job, losing a leg, I don't know, getting cancer, there are two kinds of people. People who say, ah, oh, life sucks, I hate God. Or there are people that say, God, God, where are you? And he says, I pray to you in the time of your favor, in your great love, O God, answer me with your sure salvation. I couldn't write the whole psalm because every verse, it just really, it's so beautiful how he, in the midst of all this suffering, said, you know what, I'm going to seek after God. I'm not going to just sit down and look for help from people. There was no one to help him, so what did he do? He said, he took that despaired moment of his lowest time and says, I'm going to seek God. That's what the training Proved in his life. And he says, he confesses this at the end of the Psalm 69. He says, the humble will see and rejoice. He realized his humble situation was not a disqualification for life. Many people would think, if I was like King David, poor, had no whatever, that's it, I'm done. No, he realized when I'm humble, when I'm brought low, as low as I go, God's going to bring me up. 
He says, you who seek God, let your hearts be revived. He understood the people who are suffering like me, people who have no one to help you, people who just hate your life, hate your circumstance, let your hearts be revived. For the Lord listens to the needy and does not despise his captive people. He was needy, captive. He was in the worst situation. He realized, ah, but God, he listens. He sees me, so I'm not going to give up. So King David, instead of retaliating, become like many of his shepherd friends doing evil things, he became innocent. He learned how to worship God in the worst of situations. And he decided, you know what? I'm going to love God. I'm going to run after his heart. Therefore, um, these brokennesses for him became strength because he overcame each and every offense in his life, not by any other means, but by seeking God's face in prayer and worship. And those struggles, and the, but yet his faith in God and hope in God in that situation developed his heart for God. And that's what made him qualified as God's choice king. So the sin, failure, sadness, hateful things in your life, the grudges in your life, don't despise them. Let them be fuel for you to say, God, form my heart. Train my heart. Yeah, Satan, throw those attacks at me. Yeah, go ahead, Satan, throw those temptations. Let me fall so hard my knees break. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to pursue God. That's what God said. I love that. I can trust this guy. So guys, have you been training your heart in the same way David has, or have you just given up and just gotten off the trainer and said, you know what, I'm just going to let the depression and these things just define who I am. I'm just going to live my life as a subject. I'll just accept it. I don't need God. I, I can manage. Yeah, I, I, I'll cope. Thank you, Pastor, but I, I like to just kind of manage my, my, my situation. I'm just going to settle down. It's clear, but King David, something in him said no. I'm not going to curse God. I'm going to actually go to God. I'm going to find him. I'm going to say, God, what happened? <laughs> I'm going to find the answer. Friends, um, therefore, seeking God and learning to obey him was the most important thing in David's life. I don't want you to get the, uh, miss the point. These hardships, right, it could have turned his heart bitter. It could have turned his heart to lose faith in God. But somehow these things allowed him to say, God, I hope in you. My faith is in you. And God says, that's good. I'll take that and I'll work. What did we say? God works good. People, man works evil. God redeems evil for good. And King David said, I'm a candidate and I'm not going to give up. That's what made him king. Is it any different in our lives? If you want God's full backing and support to be in freedom and to be in absolute freedom, to be absolutely powerful, there's only one way. There's no other way, no other lifestyle that will help you overcome these things except what King David did, to find it in seeking God. And what's beautiful about King David is as he sought him, he let those despair and those sins and those evil things to be burned away, and he had a heart that says, I'm ready to obey you. And it took him, he was between the ages of 15 and 18 when he, when he got uh, anointed, right? So until that point, but also after even he was appointed, his training wasn't done. Another 13 years, now being running away, King Saul hated him so much, hated the fact that the, that the Spirit of God left him and went upon King David he sent the entire army. Imagine, the whole USA army is after you. CIA, FBI, whatever, you know, you name it. They're all after you. How would you feel? Wow, God, thank you for your salvation. No, he ran for, for his life. He hid. But in the wilderness, this training didn't stop. Because maybe for you guys, after 18 years of suffering, and God somehow says, oh, you're going to be king. Maybe you can think, Oh, wow, my suffering is done. But then it extended under 13 years, another deeper training, right? This heart after God, guys, is not given. God doesn't just say, oh, yeah, your heart, love me. No, it's formed. Of course, there are times where he probably fell, but he never gave up. And that's why at the end of that, at the age 40, he became king and he was crowned. And that's when the spirit of God was affirming him in his life. In the midst of the struggles, he did not 
stop seeking the Lord and learning to obey, even if it meant 13 years of becoming, of having to form his heart to trust. And there were two times in that moment he could have decided, I want to end this. King Saul went to the bathroom in the cave that he was hiding. Two times he could have just, how easy is it to kill a guy who's by himself taking a number two? Pretty easy, right? And he had his 300 men hiding right there, but he says, no, I'm going to seek the Lord, do what he wants. And he realized God didn't want him to kill him. So he said, he let him go two times. And God says, good job. You are a man after my heart. You know, as I was thinking about this, I was like wondering, God, I know I am called to something. I know I'm still in training. And I'm wondering, God, how many years is left for me? For each one of you guys, God has a purpose and something amazing. He wants you to be like a king in your family, in your situation, in your city, in your workplace. He wants you to have an influence that can bring the resource of God and to be able to overcome whatever curse or uh, pitfalls that they have. Don't you want to live like that, successful and powerful? But the question is, when is the training going to be over? depends all on you. The moment you set your heart like King David and say, I'm going to seek the Lord's face and I'm going to do what he wants, not what I want, that's the moment that you finish that race. And I, and I was asking the Lord, oh, God, I hope it's just a couple years. I hope, because I realize I know there's something that God wants me to do and I know where I am and it's just, it's not there yet, right? But I realize the only way I'm going to get there is to develop the heart after God. The song that King David wrote that became my life story because I, like him, I'm sure, you know, when you read those psalms, you, you might realize, man, I feel you, David. I feel the rejection, the shame, the struggles you had. I, I feel you. And, and maybe you're asking, how can I be like that? And this verse gave me the, the secret. This is what King David professes in Psalm 34. He says, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and he delivers them from all their troubles. I took this verse. And I said amen to it. I've had a lot of troubles in my life, right? Trying to grow up as a missionary kid. Uh, Remember I told you guys how uh, when I was a little baby, uh, our family was so poor, they couldn't give me formula. They had to give me that white water that you get from the washing the rice, right? Anyways, long story short, through every trouble, I took this and I cried out to the Lord. And how many troubles did he save me from? All of the troubles. And this is secret in verse 18. The Lord is near who? The rich, the healthy, the disciplined, right? The self-made man. The people who look great and who can do great things in this world, we all applaud them and say, yeah, we, let's vote for him, let's pay money. These are the great things. No, 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 no. He's near the brokenhearted. The stuff, the people who have crap in their life, the people who are just, just barely making it through, he's like, I'm there. And he saves the contrite spirit. But the world keeps teaching us, no, 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 just wash it off, just you're not brokenhearted. Just be tough, right? Just, just work harder. Just do better. Just, just study harder. You know, eat better. Work out. You know, no, God's like, okay, go ahead. You try to be your own king. But King David realized, wow, there's one place where I have hope, and it's in the presence of God. He learned to pray. He learned to hear God's word and to obey. I'm going to close with talking about, so the simple definition of being after God's own heart, and again, it's not going to happen overnight for you guys. I mean, I, I don't think because of the Holy Spirit, it'll take us like decades like it did for King David. I think for us, months, weeks, it could happen, it happen in a day by the help of the Holy Spirit. He can give us a new heart. He can change us in a moment. It all depends on your hunger. It all depends on how much you want to be out of that pit, Right? Not by your own strength, but by the Lord. But it really means that you come to a place where you're ready to obey and please God. I want to close by comparing him to King Saul as we make a clear understanding of how to become a king by having heart after God's own heart. In 1 Samuel, verse 13, we read today in verse 13, it says Samuel was chastising Saul because he said, you have done a foolish thing. And what was it that disqualified King Saul? The very opposite of King David. King David seeks the Lord, obeys. King Saul doesn't seek the Lord. He looks at his counselors. He has a meeting. He looks at his resources. He, he tries to figure it out. He tries to figure out. He, just, he makes bureaucracies. He makes a legislative branch, executive branch, and they have a meeting, and they're like, oh, what do we do? What do we do? And then he doesn't obey God's word. 
the Lord your God had gave you. If you had obeyed, he would have established a kingdom over all Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his heart and appointed him to be ruler of his people. Why? Again, he repeats, because you have not kept the Lord's command. Same thing in our lives. Very simple. Why are we sometimes stuck in hopelessness, despair, and just situations that are just horrible? We're like, because we're not in line with God's word. Pure and simple. That's at the heart of it, right? And then later, Saul didn't learn the mistake, learn from his mistake, and made another thing, another blunder. And then Samuel goes to him and asks him again, "What have you done?" He says, "Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought now the Philistines will come against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering." Now look at the words I highlighted in red. I saw. I thought, I felt. Whose heart was King Saul eventually after? His own heart. I saw and I figured in my own understanding, oh my gosh, my understanding says, oh, we're in a pandemic and all I thought, oh my gosh, all these things. And I felt, oh my God. So I decided to do what I'm not supposed to do. I just said, Build the altar quickly. Worship him. Sing the song. Pastoring and preach right now. Oh, we need God. And then God's like, what are you doing? Friends, that's what is the main difference. See, King Saul, he didn't have the training that King David had. There, there can be moments of obedience. King Saul was a pretty nice guy. He was really humble. When they wanted to make him king, he didn't even come to the coronation. He was hiding because he was so shy. But then he came to a place where he became proud and arrogant and said, you know what? I can do it. I can live my life. He may have started like a Christian. He may have gone to Bible study, but eventually he said, I think I'm okay. I'm healthy enough. I'm rich enough. I'm smart enough. I'm good enough. I have good enough friends. Life is good in Hawaii. We can chill with, with the whole faith thing. But see, Saul, in that moment, he was, the main difference was King David had, God made sure King David would, can, can overcome such a temptation to be proud and fail like him, to live after his own heart because he trained him for the 30 years. Test and trials and sadness and depression, and he overcame each one of them, right? That was the difference. But look, this is what I realized. There's another key in this verse that shows you how not to be a king. Not only to live by your thinking, your feeling, and your thoughts, living according to those things, saying, there's no, there's no room for God's word to come because you're living by what you see, what you feel, what you touch. You are your own God. And God says, okay, well, again, I'll just take a sideline. You try your best. Call me when you need me. Here it is. As Saul, as Saul is giving these excuses like all of us do. Gosh, did Lord, this thing happened. And this. The main point is he says, I have not sought the Lord's favor. That's when he realized when all the hell was breaking loose, then he realized, oh, shoot. I tried everything, but the main thing is I didn't seek God's favor. Friends, there's something we have to understand in these two examples of Saul and David. It's not praying that's important. It's when you pray that's important. It's the order that you pray. Think about it, guys. Saul, he did everything he saw, he thought, and he felt. Influenced by who? The world. Other kings. Other advices. CNN, right? CDC, FD, FDA, whatever, right? He said, oh, okay, okay, I, I see, I feel, I think, and he did it. And then when stuff happens that wasn't supposed to, then he says, SOS, Jesus, help us. How many of you guys kind of see that example and realize, mm, Pastor England, I kind of see myself in that. Yes, I do too. We do what we see, what we feel, what we think. It's natural. We just live our life. And then when bad stuff happens, when we step on a mind, we say IED, we say, God, help us right now. And sometimes God does many times, but sometimes he will just eventually say, you know what, you can keep going your way. King David was different. Before he decided what he thinks, what he saw, what he did, he prayed and inquired of the Lord. How do you know that? There's proof of it. How did King David become successful and have power and freedom? This, this is an example, just one out of nine recorded times that he was about to go into major battles. And this is what it says. It happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, Where shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. Instead of David saying, mm, I see over there, I think I have enough, you have 500, I have 450, I feel we're okay, let's go. And then when they're defeating you, say, God of Israel, and the answer, you can just help us. 
he said, before he does that, he empties his mind. He remembers his training in the wilderness, in the silence. He honored the Lord. To King David, he was free because there was only one boss in his life. One word that counted, the voice of God. Then when he heard it, he obeyed. And he became king. Friends, this principle is the same for you and I today. In every situation. There's no other way. I wish I could tell you that without praying and hearing God's voice, it's going to go well for you. But I'll be the worst liar. I'll have so many losses because that's an absolute lie. Your life will not go well if you do not understand this principle in your life to develop a heart after God's heart, to say, God, in my life, you created me uniquely. You gave me an influence. You gave me a family or no family, a job or no job, this kind of talent, no talent. In all of that, if we say, you know what, I'm going to do what I see, what I feel, what I think, the consequence is very clear. You don't need God to explain that to you. But if you want to say, God, I'm going to rise up, become your representative, your king, to have all of your power, all of your freedom to do the righteousness of God, I'm going to seek your face. Friends, this is why King David wrote this psalm, and this is true. Now it all makes sense that this is not just him just emotionally singing a song. This is him really defining who his heart is. It says, one thing I have asked of the Lord, this is what I desire. What? More power, more money a great family, a great job, health. No, he said, to dwell in the house of the Lord. Dwell means to root yourself, to sit on your butt, to wait in the house of the Lord all the days, not just on Sunday or when we have Bible study. And to what? To gaze. To gaze means, you guys know what gaze is. It's different than looking. It's like looking so intently. For what? To seek him in this temple. This is a secret that made him king. Do you have this in your life? Or is your prayer kind of like Saul? After you do what you think, what you see, what you feel, and then crap happens, you say, oh, shoot, I forgot to ask the Lord, and let's pray. The Lord is merciful, right? He doesn't, like, slap us on the back of the head and say, you one, you, you foolish man. No, he just waits, and he brings us little hints on there. And so you could, draw, you could drain out your training to be 13, 30, 40 years, but God knows that's the most important thing in your life. The most thing in your life is to develop this heart because otherwise we're still slaves. We're not saved. We're not living as children of God. We're still slaves to sin. But God says this is a way that you will win in this life. Friends, I close with this Proverbs that I read a long time ago. I didn't understand until now I know who King David was. This is the truth. His son, Solomon, from whom he learned everything that King David taught him, and was able to be qualified to build a temple of God, he said this in Proverbs 25, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. How can you be kings? Not by being mighty and the talented and rich and just do everything. No, no, no. You seek out God first. It's the order in which we do it that's the, that's the most important in our lives. Friends, where do you seek the Lord in your life? Or should I say, when do you seek out the Lord in your life? And just like I confess to you, I find myself many times like Saul too. I do what I see, what I think, what I feel. And I say, I'm in trouble. God, help me. Something's missing in my life, right? But we don't have to live like that anymore. We don't have to live in the cycle of sin. And, and, but then you have to make a decision today to say, God, I'm going to seek your face first. More than anything in my life, what I want to develop is the heart after your heart. I want to be a person who obeys your voice. And again, if that's not what you want to do, I'm sorry. I'll pray for you. I'll bless you. But I know how it's going to end for you. It's not going to end well. The world has enough kings, enough powers, and enough authorities that will clearly bring you down. We're just a piece of cake to the forces of the world unless you become like King David a warrior and a worshiper and a king and a prophet before God. Why? Because you inquired of the Lord. Friends, that's why prayer is, it's scary for me sometimes that we as Christians, children already, that we have maybe left, again, there's two kinds of people, people who are constantly drawing close to God or people who are constantly drawing. There's no middle ground. And I believe today the Lord wants to invite us 
to a company of people who live with the power and the freedom as the children of God. Let's all pray in this time as prayer team comes up. Father, I start myself, Lord, this year, 2021, our slogan has been to pray continually, God. Lord, honestly, many of us, most of us don't know what prayer is. And it's not how to pray that's a problem. It's the state of our heart. Lord, we are, we, are, we are so prone to idolatry. We're so prone to deception. We're weak, Lord God. We're broken. But Lord, let us make a decision. Like King David, in the, in the dirtiest place of his life, he learned how to seek God, to put his hope in God. And he learned to hear your voice and to obey. Father, let our destiny, let everything blessing you've given us, our family, our work, let all the money, influence that you've given us, let it not be in vain. Let it not become nothing, but let it become glorious. Father, teach us how to be kings in this life. Next week, I'm going to talk about the latter part of how to maintain our kingship in Christ. But at least for now, we have to understand it starts with you deciding, God, I'm going to seek you. Friends, Saturday morning, beautiful time. Just come and seek. Again, it's not gonna, your, your life is not going to suddenly become king in most cases. I don't know. You can be so hungry. You're running after God. There is no, there is no speed limit. It's, a, it's the hunger. The hungry are the ones that see. The ones that are broken, the ones that are needy are the ones that are blessed in the kingdom of God. So I pray that the Lord will, will just take away the, 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 the false satisfaction you have. As the scripture says, the deceitfulness of wealth. The wealth will fool us, make us think that we're okay. No, let the Lord help you see your nakedness, your emptiness without knowing Jesus. So God, um, Seal the truth of this word in us and let us be different. Let us be redeemed from a life of subject, the life of slavery, and make us who we are already, kings in the courts of God. In Jesus' name.